Welcome to Local St. Charles. This podcast is done in conjunction with the Greater St. Charles County Chamber of Commerce and focuses on local businesses, their successes, their stories, and their challenges. The Local St. Charles podcast is produced by Changescape Web. Hello, everybody. I'm Ken Tucker with Changescape Web. Today, I'm here with uh, Rudy Beck of Beck and Linux Estate Planning and Elder Law, LLC. Welcome, Rudy. Thank you. Good morning, Ken. Yeah, it's great to see you again. It's been a long time. It sure is. I know just a little bit about what you do. I think it's a great opportunity for, for you to kind of just elaborate on what all it is that you do. And I'd like to start from an estate planning perspective. What documents should every adult really have? Well, the two most important documents, without any question, are the documents that would uh, provide a durable power of attorney for health care and a durable power of attorney dealing with financial matters. When I say durable, I mean that they have to have wording in them that will allow the power of attorney documents to remain in effect even after someone becomes incapacitated and can't make decisions for themselves anymore. So would that include if they get to that state where they can't make decisions, are there provisions that would transfer responsibilities for the decision-making to other folks? Yes. Okay. That's exactly how it works. And right. of course, you need to be careful who you choose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because, the, for example, the power of attorney for financial matters is, can include some incredibly powerful clauses giving authority to someone else to uh, take care of all of your financial matters. So you have to be very, very careful who you choose. And sometimes we will advise people, look, if you're not real sure, then don't give them that authority or don't allow that authority to exist until you have been declared incapacitated by at least one, if not two physicians. Sometimes they might want to have another person appointed. So there's two and they kind of balance each other out. It, it just depends on the facts and circumstances within the family situation. Absolutely. I imagine it, it varies widely. <laughs> it does. Let's move on to probate court. So is it true that if you have a will, you're not going to have to go through probate? Or just how does probate really work? Well, let's tackle that first question first. Is it true if you have a will, you don't have to go to probate? The answer is absolutely false. If you have a will, you must go to probate. People say all the time, well, I was told I have a will, so I don't have to go to probate. Is that true? No, it's absolutely not true. A will is a one-way ticket to probate court. Okay, so why do we have probate to begin with anyway? To make sure that the people that have been appointed, that you want to have receive assets, will in fact actually get those assets after your death. If you don't have a will or you don't have a trust, you haven't appointed anybody. So state law controls in probate. Probate also assures that creditors get paid. And probate is designed to resolve disputes among people who make a claim to your estate. So those are the three main reasons to have probate, why the probate process is in place, to make sure the state law is followed with regard to who will receive your assets at death, to make sure creditors are paid, and to make sure that any claims against your estate are resolved properly. But can you avoid probate? That's the real issue, and the answer is a resounding yes. And the best way to avoid probate is through the use of something called a living trust. It's a substitute for having a will in that you name who you want to receive the assets, you name who you want to be in charge, and then the process is already in place that if somebody has a claim, the trustee can either contest that claim or pay it if they find it to be legitimate. 
but by avoiding probate, the family saves time. Any idea how much time it might take to have something run through probate, Ken? Six months or more, probably. Exactly. It's a minimum of six months from the date that notice is first published in the newspaper that so-and-so has died. And if you have a claim or any interest in the estate, please contact this named person who's the executor of the estate. And it usually lists the attorney's name as well. But probate generally takes anywhere from nine months to a year. With a trust, if the assets are already in the trust and it's fairly easy to liquidate those assets, bank accounts, stock brokerage accounts, and even in today's market here in St. Charles County, a house can be sold in the blink of an eye right? <laughs> if, it's in, if it's in good condition. So we have the ability to, to go through the trust administration process and then terminate that trust within a few weeks, whereas probate will take several months, a year, sometimes more. Why is it called a living trust? Because you make it up, you create it while you're alive. Okay, all right. The, you've heard the term perhaps testamentary trust. Those are trusts that don't come into existence until someone's died. They're written already, but they don't have any effect. You can't put any assets into them. Can't name the trust as a current interest holder in a bank account, for example, if it's just set up in your will. If it's set up as an independent, revocable living trust, you can have your bank accounts assigned to the trust. You can have your automobiles assigned to the trust. You can have your home assigned to the trust, your brokerage accounts assigned to the trust, pretty much any asset you have. Okay. You can either make part of the trust now, or you can set it up to go to the trust by way of a beneficiary designation at the time of your death, and you still avoid probate. Well, okay. So we've avoided probate. What do we gain? Well, we've already talked about time. We mm -hmm. save time. We also save money. It's been the policy of this law firm since I've been doing this type of work, which now is in my 47th year. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I find that hard to believe myself at times. But we tell people when we do a trust for them that their family can expect absent unforeseen circumstances that someone might want to contest something that the fee will be about one half of what it would have been had the same assets gone through probate. And then a very important aspect. In probate court, Ken, if you knew somebody who died and you knew that they had a will and nothing else, you would be able to go to the probate court and find out how much they had and who's going to receive it as a result of their death. Whereas with a trust, it's completely private. So we save time, we save money, and we keep things totally private through the use of a trust. Fascinating. Give me an example of like a claim against an estate. <laughs> I give you several different real life examples that have happened in my practice. A man starts helping out a uh, older gentleman who owned about 150 acres of ground. This was a long time ago, but it's in probate. It was in probate court here in St. Charles County because the man did not do a trust. In fact, I had gotten called about two weeks before his death, I got a call from the senior services people at SSM Hospital here in St. Charles. Would you be able to come down to the hospital this afternoon and take care of putting a will together for, let's just say, Mr. Smith? Sure. I went down. I hand wrote the will on several yellow sheets. Okay. And then I had it witnessed and I had it notarized right there at the hospital. We did it all. But that was about 35 years ago before we had these marvelous little laptops or something where we could use that. He died shortly thereafter, and a guy made a claim against the estate for about 15 acres of ground across the road from the 150 acres that was his main place. 
he made the claim saying that Mr. Smith had promised him the ground when hmm. he died. This took a few years to finally resolve, by the way, because this ground was incredibly valuable then and today. Good Lord. <laughs> it's right in the middle of residential development. Okay. So I got the man on the stand and I finally said, well, let me ask you a question. Did Mr. Smith promise you the ground in return for your coming to help him out, which you did every week, sometimes twice a week? No, 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 no. That, that was never any... I was just helping him out, and he told me one day that uh, he really felt good about me and that he wanted to have me get some ground. So I said, there was never an agreement. No. That was the end of the story. He had no legitimate claim against the estate. Yeah. And he said, yes, we had an agreement. Yes, it was understood that I was to be given this ground in return for my coming to help him out, which he did over a three- or four-year period, by the way. That's the kind of thing you can have. You can also say, what happens if, uh, say, there's three children, and one of them gets, say, 20%, and the other two get 40% each. Well, that 20%er might be a little unhappy with only getting 20%. So they might try to claim that the person who drafted the document and signed it, signed the trust, signed the will, was uh, forced to do so by the other two, or they weren't of their right mind. They were somehow lacking capacity when they did it. Oftentimes, if work is done on a house and it hasn't been paid for yet, the contractor will make a claim. Usually those are legitimate, but sometimes not so much. The process is designed to make sure we get things resolved. It sounds to me like even if you think you have a pretty simple situation, you still put a lot at risk if you don't get the living trust in place. You do. And the living trust is by far and away the easiest way to avoid probate, and at the end of the day, make sure you have peace of mind. Probate will be avoided, and it, everything will be handled exactly the way you want. And I think that's what everybody seeks, is to have that peace of mind in place. Right. So they don't have to be concerned about that. They can concentrate on their health, or just concentrate on living a good long life. Exactly. Are there any other differences between a will and, and a trust? Not really. The trust, okay. the trust, as we said, is a living document Actually, you can create a trust and not put anything into it at all until your date of death. It's still a valid instrument. I, I, I analogize that to somebody saying, look, son, I bought you a wonderful car over here, but I'm going to keep the keys in my hand and there will be no gas in the tank until I die. And then it's yours. Now, Missouri law changed about 10 years ago. We can now create a trust for a child and name that child as their own beneficiary, their own trustee. But if the trust is funded with assets from mom and dad, no creditor of that child could ever get at it. I don't care if that child's in the worst financial shape on the planet. None of their creditors can take them to court and put a claim against the assets inside of that trust. And if the child ends up in a bad marriage, one that doesn't last, a divorce court judge cannot even consider the assets that have been inherited in the name of that trust. So that is something that a lot of people have taken advantage of. They want that additional protection. Wow. whole lot more to this than I, I knew, which I wasn't going to be, I'm not surprised by, because this is obviously not so my, what you do. <laughs> exactly. It's not my area of expertise. And yeah. Now, you also deal with veterans aid and assistance getting like pension benefits and things yes, like that. Yes, we do. That. Who qualifies for that? What's the process? Is it only for veterans that you work with? No. We do. We help people qualify for Medicaid benefits from the state of Missouri. 
and we help veterans and the surviving spouses of veterans qualify for long-term care benefits from the Veterans Administration. We've handled well over 3,000 claims for Medicaid with the state of Missouri in the last 20, it'll be 20 years this coming April. Hmm. And in the last 10 and a half years, we've just passed our 2,300th claim filed with the Veterans Administration. Wow. Um, there are different sets of criteria for both. Obviously, they both are designed to make sure that people who have a lot of money don't get the benefit. But Congress has also deemed it legal and totally appropriate for a spouse who remains at home to be able to keep everything, including his or her spouse's IRA money, even while that spouse is going into a nursing home. But there are certain things that need to be done to make that happen. Even for a single person, there are ways to save a substantial amount of what they have and ultimately qualify for Medicaid. I co-wrote a book in 2011 called Don't Go Broke in a Nursing Home. And a lot of these techniques are mentioned in that book. Uh, we've updated it, but it's, it's designed to help people understand the different alternatives they have. Now, if you're a veteran and you were on active duty, you didn't have to actually be in a war zone. During World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and now the Gulf conflict since 1980, if you served 90 or more days on active duty, one day of which was during one of those periods of war, you will qualify from the time in service requirement. Then there are requirements with regard to income. Well, in, in essence, you gotta be spending more for your care than the income you have coming in. And then there's an asset requirement, and it's roughly $130,000 now. They can allow you to have that. Your home is exempt, your cars are exempt, so we help people arrange things in advance. People who are healthy and in their early to mid seventies, for example, we can help arrange everything by putting them into special types of trusts where they still maintain the use and enjoyment of everything. But if the time comes when they need help, we've already got things protected. Okay. And it makes it a lot easier to qualify for those benefits. And everything that we do, of course, is authorized by the law. You just have to know about it. Exactly. That's awesome. You probably get this question all the time, but what's the difference between Medicare and Medicaid? <laughs> okay. Well, no, that's it's the right question, actually. Medicare is designed to take care of medical expenses. Medicaid is designed primarily, the kind of Medicaid that I deal with anyway, is designed to take care and help pay for long-term care costs. Okay. In fact, there's a certain type of Medicaid that's available here in Missouri. It's called supplemental nursing care. It is available to help pay for assisted living expenses. It's not very much, but it gets you in the Medicaid system to begin with. The good news about this particular benefit is, unlike regular Medicaid, when you're applying to occupy a bed in a nursing home and have Medicaid pay for it, supplemental nursing care does not have any look back period regular Medicaid for nursing home benefits has a five-year look-back period. So we've helped people qualify for the VA benefit and get supplemental nursing care to help pay for time in an assisted living facility. All the while, they're waiting perhaps for that five-year period to run on assets that they have already transferred. Okay. It's a complex world, Ken. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah, not one but we've done so much of it that a lot of what we do feels kind of routine except when we sit down to explain it all to a client and then 
it's not so routine at all. <laughs> Absolutely. It's amazing. You and I both have different industries we work in, but we have all kinds of technical jargon that we yeah, use we all the time. And, you know, there are little tricks of the trades that we know about and stuff like that. And I know it's a challenge sometimes. I work really hard at it to try and speak as plain English as I can to the folks that I work with just to make it clear because sometimes it's not. And so I, I love the way you're going into depth and, and explaining it. It's it's very beneficial. So thanks very much. Yeah, I, I, I tell sometimes I'll have an engineer sitting in front of me and uh, he might want to have things in a more technical t terminology, which I can do, of course. Right. But then I then his wife or her they get they get lost and so for the most part i try to keep it very plain english because okay. after all at the end of the day people need to have peace of mind you can't have peace of mind about anything that i do or you do unless you fully understand it when you fully understand it you can take ownership of it and when you take ownership of it you have peace of mind and that's what we're all about is to make sure that anything we do is fully understood so that the people we do these things for can have complete peace of mind and feel very good about it. Have you seen a lot of change in the desire of people to address their, their situation due to the, the pandemic? I think it's heightened people's awareness that you don't know how much time you have, yeah. that, that anything can happen. We have seen a really a, a kind of an incredible influx since uh, about, I would say, the last half of December through right now. Our phone is definitely ringing a lot more than it did throughout most of 2020. Needless to say, we're happy for that. I'm glad to see that people are willing to spend the time to uh, take care of making sure their assets go to the loved ones they want it to go to, or perhaps somebody they don't want it to go to to make sure they don't receive anything. Yeah. Which, by the way, is perfectly fine. You can disinherit. There's nothing wrong with that. If you have and if you have good reasons, we're happy to help you do that. But mainly, again, we're seeing more and more people come in the door, and we're seeing the vast majority of the people we talk with want these living trusts. Then, if we're talking to people in their late sixties and in their seventies, they want to engage in pre-planning to qualify for VA benefits and to Medicaid benefits. So they want that help. Is there anything else we need to talk about in terms of what you do to help somebody with pre-planning for Medicaid specifically? I would just urge them to give us a call. Okay. We do not charge anything for that initial consultation here in the office. We ask people to give us a call. We will then give them a call back and have a preliminary discussion in many cases to determine if we really can help. And if we find out in the discussion that we're probably not the one best suited to try and help them out, we'll get into somebody who can. Okay. People just, they don't have to be afraid of us. <laughs> it's certainly less painless than going to a dentist. And <laughs> at the same time, if people are interested in getting peace of mind about what's going to happen in the event they become incapacitated or in the event of their death, well, then we're the place to come to and, and find out about what they can do. I'm sure that a lot of people don't really want to address the subject. It's not necessarily a comfortable subject for a lot of people, but at the same time, you know it's weighing on them, and anything that's left unresolved just continues to provide that additional stress level. So it sounds like it, it really is a smart thing to do to come in and make sure your situation is resolved. And as you said earlier, none of us know how much time we have. 
actually. So it's not something you really can or should take for granted. No, it isn't. And I, what you just said reminds me of several instances now. I think we even had 10 calls during one week in February where prior past clients have passed away. Hmm. And when I get a chance to talk to their children, I just look at them and say, now I get a chance to keep my promise to that I made to your mom and dad. It's going to cost you this much because we've got a living trust to deal with and not probate to deal with. And here's exactly how it's all going to work out. Because the living trust process is so much less complicated than having to go through the probate process. Although I will say we've got a tremendously competent probate court here in St. Charles County. We are very, very lucky. Hmm. We get things done for people, but it's much easier to get them done. It takes less time and it costs less money. And it stays private when we have the living trust. Yeah. I would be surprised that many people come in and ask for a trust. I mean, most people have grown up thinking, I need a will. Almost everybody I hear talk about this, you right. know, I need a will. So I'm sure there's a lot of education that you have to do. Explain all of that. To well, me. what we do is, so I, <laughs> a lot of times people will come in and say, I want you to do a will for me. And I want you to do powers of attorney. And I look at them and say, well, I'm happy to do those. But I'm not happy if a will is all you want. Why? It's what I want. I, I agree. That's something you should have. And by the way, they should have it even when they have a trust. Why? What happens if they forget about a CD they bought because they could get a toaster 30 years ago and they haven't done anything with that CD and it's still at that bank and they've forgotten about it because they gave the bank instructions to keep investing the interest in the CD. So the children help them out. They think everything's been taken care of. This is a true story. And then four or five months later, the oldest son comes in and says, uh, Rudy, we just found out Dad had a $50,000 CD at the Bank of Old Monroe. It was in his name alone. What can we do? I said, oh, we're all remember? The will I drafted said that anything that's found in my name only at the time of my death, I direct my executor now my personal representative, to take charge of that asset and put it into the name of my trust. But we have to go through probate to make that happen. Yeah. So we work very hard to make sure we have a complete list of every asset so that we know for sure that once we are finished, we've got everything covered. And we even send out a reminder letter saying, okay, here's what we've done. Here's what you've done. Here's right. the list of the assets we dealt with. Is this everything? <laughs> right. You have so, to do it. Yeah. So it sounds like really you should have both then. It's you do. Either or. But, it's the most prudent thing to do is to have both. It is because the will is what we, it's commonly referred to as a pour over will. It'll catch anything that, oops, we just found it and we'll pour it over into the trust. Okay. If it's of little value, say $5,000, $10,000, oftentimes we can get that done very simply and quickly under certain laws that will allow a small estate administration or even, for example, if the family members paid for the funeral and we find a $5,000 asset, well, I'll guarantee you, in most cases, you paid more than $5,000 for the funeral. So we can run it through saying, Judge, they paid for the funeral and what they paid was worth more than what has been found. Could you enter an order saying that that's kind of like a return of, they can set that off. They can be recoup some of their payment for the funeral and they'll quickly sign an order allowing that to happen. And we've seen that take place in less than a week Wow! in many cases. And we don't even need the will for that. 
But yes, we do them all. The two powers of attorney documents for healthcare and for financial matters, the pour over will and the living trust operate as the four corners of a solid foundation for a, a very good estate plan. Then if you want to do something extra for your children, like the asset protection trust that we talked about earlier, we do those. If people are fortunate enough to have uh, charitable interests that they wish to leave something for charity, I love doing that for people as well. Yeah. But uh, awesome. We cover the the whole spectrum of need here, and the, pretty much every situation that walks in the door, if it involves estate planning, Medicaid planning, or VA benefits planning, we can handle. Hmm. Now, how long have you been a member of the chamber, the oh, Greater St. Charles County Chamber? I don't know. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've I been a member. 2008. So. I don't really remember, Ken. That's, uh, right. I know I joined the Chamber of Commerce here in St. Charles years ago, and then it became the Greater St. Charles County Chamber. It's been a very long time. I mean, I've, I opened my practice here in December of 1974 after I got out of the Army. My grandmother's sister was my first client. I did a will and two power of attorney documents for her on the day after Christmas. <laughs> she paid me $20 and I still have that $20 bill hanging on the wall <laughs> in my office. Wow. <laughs> so your office is on West Clay. Right. 2777 uh, West Clay. Kind of halfway between where Hawk's Nest and uh, Zumble kind of cross over West Clay. Yeah, we're half a mile up okay. east from Zumbel. And then we're, we're just within a stone's throw of really well, maybe more than that, maybe a good nine iron shot of putting forward. And we're across the street from, for those in old St. Charles, the old Oak Grove Cemetery okay. is directly across the street from us. But uh, yeah, we're on West Clay. We overlook Highway 70. And we have been here since 1983. It's hard to believe. Wow. Earlier than that, we were on Jefferson Street across from the post office. All right. The old post office. Yeah, Jefferson the old side no longer there. So. Right. Yeah. Well, Rudy, one last question I have for you is, and I think people have been listening to this at all. I think they're probably getting some idea of this, but you know, just uh, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of reiterate why would somebody want to work with you over maybe some of your competition? Primarily the, the level of experience we bring to the table. I've been at this for 46 years plus now. Jay has been practicing law for about 27 years. He's been doing wills and trusts and powers of attorney that whole time. Now he's clearly focused only on that. Caroline has shown incredible promise. She, shown, uh, she will soon be with us for two years. I think our experience is the greatest asset we have because we've done just about everything that most of the people out there in the public domain would really need to have done. And I will tell you without any question, if something comes in the door that we haven't done before, we will find somebody else who can take care of it. I learned a long time ago, one of the easiest and most honest questions to answer or answers to give is, I don't know, rather than trying to uh, go ahead and take on something that is really not in our wheelhouse. We only deal with things that we have dealt with. And the good news is, we have a broad breadth of experience in right. dealing with just about anything involving estate planning, Medicaid asset protection planning, or Medicaid crisis. Something happens today. My God, my dad had a stroke. He's going to have to go into a nursing home. We've been there. We've done that. So I think that's the biggest difference. Also, 
we don't charge for that initial consultation. People should not have to pay us to find out if we can help them. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, it gives us a chance to determine, do we really want to help this person or not? Exactly. It's a, it's a good opportunity to see if you're both going to be a good fit for each other. Exactly. Well, Rudy, thanks so much. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you and learning a lot more about your business and estate planning and appreciate you being in St. Charles and, and being in business for so long. That's, that's awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Ken, I appreciate, I really do appreciate the opportunity. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Good to see you too. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Goodbye. Bye. We want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to today's podcast. Please be sure and subscribe to the local St. Charles podcast in your podcast software. We'd love for you to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to visit localstcharles.com for more episodes, information on local businesses, free resources, and a link to set up a free consultation with the host of this podcast. Thanks again and stay tuned.